0: A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Chapter 8, verses 4 through 40. Therefore, those who had been scattered went through places preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds were paying attention with one mind to what was being said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them with a shouting voice. And many who had been paralyzed or limped on crutches were healed. So there was much joy and rejoicing in that city. Now, a man named Simon had previously been preaching magic, practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all the people, from small to great, were paying attention to him, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they were paying attention to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were being baptized. Now, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was repeatedly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this authority as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could acquire the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart will be forgiven you. For I see that you are in a gall of bitterness and in the bondage of unrighteousness. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord to forgive, pray to the Lord for me for yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got ready and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure and he had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet then the spirit said to Philip go up and join this chariot philip ran and heard philip ran up and heard him reading isaiah the prophet and said do you understand what you're reading And he said, well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture, which he was reading, was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb that is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered that the chariot stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as a eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities, until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Let's pray as we get started. Father in heaven, you say your word has come to do its purpose, and it will succeed. That is what we're here this morning to have faith in, is that you will give us your word and it will do its purpose because you are a faithful God. Come now, Lord, may your majesty be made known. May your will be here, done here on earth as it is in heaven. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. So we're continuing in the book of Acts, going through uh, chapter by chapter, story by story, sometimes verse by Verse by verse, trying to get completed. In my hopes, I've never really discussed this. I've just said it from the pulpit. Trying to get through the Book of Acts by the time of by uh, Advent starts. That's neither probably that important. But um, our main theme this morning is going to be: we can look at our meta theme is going to be preaching and how God delivers grace, how He delivers salvation and sanctification. And one of those primary means is by preaching, or as as, as Philip went around, and so. Reminding us as we go through the book of Acts, we're looking at the even bigger meta-theme of, in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you know, commanded the disciples to wait into Jerusalem, stay here, you're going to receive power from on high, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in all Samaria, until the ends of the world. And so, we haven't got to all the ends of the world yet. By the end of, of Acts, we get to Samaria and Judea. And we get to all of the the known world as far as it goes with with Rome. But we haven't uh, fulfilled Jesus' mission yet. Uh, Time has not come to cease. The final judgment has not come. His uh, kingdom is not consummated yet. And so we continue that mission. That is every Christian's mission is to be a witness of Jesus Christ wherever he has placed you. And so sovereignly, we're going to look at at Peter. I'm sorry, at, at Philip. And so... As we're going through this, the rest of chapter 8, normally throughout Israel's history, being scattered was a huge judgment on Israel, right? There was the the first and second dispersions of the Jews when they went into exile, and normally throughout the Old Covenant, that was a sign of God's judgment, of a curse, of, of their disobedience. But now we see, and a lot of times what Scripture does, what God does, his scriptures, is he takes these things that were normally curses, flips them upside down, and now they're blessings. We see that in in Acts, um, the end of Acts 1 and 2, where the early disciples are baptized in the Spirit, speaking in in new tongues, and normally in the Tower of Babel, that was a huge curse. Now it's a blessing, and the gospel spreading. And so this is how sovereignly God works in all situations where the Jews would see this as a very good thing that, hey, we're persecuting the Christians, we're scattering them, they're leaving Jerusalem except for the apostles, and this is very good. They are losing because we have got them out of our city, and God said, no, this is how we win. And so as as the Lord's saying out Philip, um, he goes and, and preaches, and it doesn't say just Philip, but... It alludes to all the disciples. Every Christian that was scattered was preaching, was ministering in some capacity. And so uh, briefly, Philip is named among the seven men in Acts chapter 6 who serve the Hellenistic widows, which we uh, assert and understand to be the first first deacons. This is not the Apostle Philip, for the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And later on, it mentions very clearly, and I think in chapter 21, that that Philip was one of the seven and uh, when Philip finds himself in Caesarea, by the end of chapter 8, uh, this is where he makes him his home. He has four unmarried daughters who prophesy. And so Acts chapter 8 is a really good chapter to go through and study what we call the five steps into entering Christ's kingdom, which it's not, that's, what, that's our naming of it, but there's many Christians throughout history who have, uh, who have studied this as receiving Christ, getting water baptized, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, getting inner, healance, inner healing or deliverance, and then finally living a New Testament way of life as a Christian. And you can study that with uh, the account with Simon the Magician, with, um, with how Philip went through and cast out demons and preached, and people received Christ and got water baptized and got demons delivered out of them, um, and started you know a New Testament way of life as it being normal. And you can look at the Ethiopian eunuch, of receiving christ hearing the gospel and saying hey i got water what's the next step he doesn't just say oh i received christ and well thanks i really appreciate it i'll just it'll just be about 30 more years till i get to heaven and i'll find something to do now he says what's next well here's some water let's get baptized and so we use those chapters are really good to examine that but i want to examine more on the meta-narrative where this, this account of Philip is just like plopped in here, and what's he doing? He's preaching, right? He's It even says very clearly to the Ethiopian eunuch, he preaches the good news about Jesus Christ. And so what's noticeable about these two accounts is Philip preaching in Samaria, and many believe, and Philip preaches, and the Holy Spirit leads Philip to one man who the Lord wants, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, I think in the... Uh, Whatever translation that Teresa was reading from uh, didn't say eunuch, it was a court official, uh, but the Lord directs them to, to him so that he would believe. And so God sends his servant to preach where he wants people to be saved. God sends his servants where he wants people to hear the good news. You can expect that where there's no preaching, there is no salvation. And we'll get into it in a little bit, but where there is no preaching, there is no sanctification. There is that is one of the primary means of God's grace. And so Romans 10, 12 through 7, very clearly says this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's anybody. There's no ethnic divider. There's no racial divider. There's no, there's no age divider. There's, there's no socioeconomic. It's not the rich and the poor, but it's anybody. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, right? And we rejoice in that. But then Paul goes in, how then will they call on him and who they've never believed? Well, you've got to believe. Right? Oh, okay. Just believe in Jesus. Anybody can believe in Jesus. He keeps going. How are they to believe in whom they've never heard of? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so Romans is one of my favorite books, just because he starts with saying, hey, this is the gospel, this is a very rough outline of what it, the gospel is, the good news. We're going to go through uh, eight chapters of bad news. It's really bad, it's totally bad, it's bad, 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 very bad news. And then you get to chapters 8, 9, and 10, uh, and 11, and it's very good news. And that's just the way I think of. It's a little bit more systematic than, um, you know, some of the other epistles and, and and things. And so I really like Romans. And so he, this is a very logical, systematic argument. He's saying, saying anybody can believe. Any the Lord isn't just calling what we would say are ethnic Jews. He's saying, you know, earlier in chapter two and three of Romans, he's saying whoever is a real Israelite are those who God has called who he's elected, who, who end up believing and have saving faith. But he says, there are means of God's grace, and we have to apprehend those means and use those means. And if people are going to believe, how are they going to believe on who they don't, have never even heard of? And how are they going to even hear about him unless someone preaches? And even to step on top of that, how are people going to preach unless they are sent and so unless they're sent from your local church, from a, from a group, unless they're sent out, it's not likely that people are going to go. It's really not. There's not a whole lot of itinerant ministers out here. Um, you see a couple, and they're usually, um, uh, they're usually out there, and they're usually out there. And, and so <laughs> when you're sent from a local body, it's a little bit, it usually tends to be a little bit healthier. And, then, and so he goes through this argument, Because that's how God delivers his grace. That's how he's delivering it to you. That's how it comes to you. It's not this this gnostic, this pietistic, ethereal idea of God's grace that he's just going to zap it into your brain and you're going to be a changed person. Now he's going to open your eyes. He's going to open your ears. He's going to open your heart to hear the gospel. And even as we progress as Christians to be sanctified by that, but it's always through hearing. It's, it's one of those uh, primary means is through preaching. And so if you thought otherwise, it's very hard to read the Gospels. It's very hard to read the book of Acts. It's very hard to read the epistles without that, uh, without that presupposition, without that, that knowledge. And so God has ordained that his people would preach the good news of salvation, that he would open people's ears Uh, To hear and receive that message and put their faith in Christ resulting in salvation that's how he ordains it that's how God works and so it reminds me of Amos uh, 8 I think it's 11 and 12 that says uh, God is actually sending a famine of preaching on the land as a form of judgment that there would be a famine in the land of of good Bible teachers of good uh, and prophetic voices calling people towards repentance and so it goes without saying that the parts of the world where the good news of Christ hasn't been preached, there won't be any saved people. There won't be any sanctified people where the gospel isn't preached. And so, oftentimes, again, in this individualistic, um, uh, unbiblical way of thinking, we think, "Well, God's just going to like save people in this country where there's no churches and there's no uh, there's no gospel being preached." Well, that's not they that can't be. That's not how God works. Maybe. We would never hear about it because we don't go there, because no one's there. But that's how some of us have come to Christ. There are people or internationals who wanted to meet Christians who didn't have any in their country or in their local area, and we were the first people that they met. And they heard the gospel, and, and the Lord is working in them. And so God could, certainly God could just import and zap knowledge and faith into your brain without using any physical means, uh, but that's not the way he works. It's like God wants us to do the work. It's like Ephesians 2.9. He says, we've been saved by grace for good works. Go back and read the book of Titus. It says good works like 11 times. It's like the Lord's really wanting us to do some work for him. Does he need it? No, but is that how he works? Yeah, that is. It's like he wants us to work our normal jobs and then he wants us to commit our lives to receiving the gospel and preaching it and discipling others and then if we have kids we got to do that with our kids it's like he wants us to do a lot of work it's kind of tedious and tiring sometimes isn't it well not if you receive it by grace and and uh have that knowledge from the lord uh of of what the his eternal plan is and so um, it, it should go without, uh, without saying, it should be understood that there is no sanctification without preaching. That's what we come here every Sunday for. And so oftentimes, um, I really like to reference the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism, just because it's a very systematic, it answers about every question you could have about Christianity. And we like to, uh, even I have this tendency of like, I've got this question about like, you know, what the Bible says about this, and I'll Google it, and I'll just like get some random source, and I'll be like, "Uh, that could be biblical, that could be not." I've got to like really understand and know the Bible to figure this one out. Um, but you've got the the Westminster Divines put together three documents: the Confession, the Larger and Shorter Catechism. Uh, I'll occasionally reference the the Baptist Confession of 1689 uh, with some caveats, but those documents are very rich, and it answers just about every question you can have about. Christianity. And so I can't remember, I think there's 176 questions in the larger catechism and 116 or 112 in the shorter, but don't quote me on that. And there's a catechism is a question and answer format of way of teaching. And so question number 35 in the Westminster larger catechism says this, how is the covenant of grace administered under the New Testament? And they weren't really worried about being succinct and concise. And so some of these answers are longer, but this is one of the shorter ones. The answer is, to how is the covenant of grace administered under the New Testament? Under the New Testament, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the same covenant of grace was and still is administered in the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. In which grace and salvation are held forth in more fullness, evidence, efficacy to all nations. And so essentially, what they're saying is God's plan of salvation to be delivered to all nations comes through preaching the word and administering baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is his primary ways of bringing us to Christ. That not as a way of if you do these and take these simple steps, then you'll be saved. You'll come to Christ after that and just do step one, two, three, four, and five. Then you're a good Christian and then you got 30, 40, 50 years to do whatever you want until you get to heaven. No, these are regularly administered in the church um, as ways to bring us to Christ, to see the substance. And so it puts primary emphasis on preaching. And so this is just how, again, how God works. David prays in the 25th Psalm Make me to know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me and so some of the some things are a mystery to God or a mystery to us that are about God. we just I'm never going to understand I'm finite, He is infinite, can't comprehend everything about God, and some of those some things are really a mystery, but some things aren't some things God makes us makes really evident uh, one thing that I uh, committed to, to memory, one of those Bible verses in my early days of coming to Christ was Deuteronomy 29.29, which says, uh, the hidden things belong to God, but that is which is revealed to, to us and our children are given to us so that we may obey the law. And so the things that aren't revealed, those are God's things. I don't know. I can't tell you. I could give you a best guess. I can give you an inference. I don't know. But those things that are revealed are given to us and to our children so that we would obey his law, right? And so the third commandment, uh, simply in a simplistic way, is to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so that's what we're talking about. And when, when Philip is, is preaching, he is putting forth an example of God's grace being delivered to people so that they would be saved and sanctified, right? And so God gives us these regular ordinances of preaching here on Sundays to give us grace. That's what God is doing on Sunday mornings. That is what he's doing on the Lord's Day. It's not just a, a nice social club. I, I really do like the potluck dinners because everybody brings delicious food. And that's a, really, that's a high motivation for me to come. If I was feeling sick or tired, I'd be like, well, people are bringing food. and I really like that. And that would be a huge motivation, but that's not why we're here. That's part of why we, when we come in and gather, that's part of our service, that's part of our living in community together, but to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy is to set it apart. It's a special day. We hear pastors, we hear preachers, we get to get grace delivered to us, and we have the opportunity to receive it and be sanctified. Now, we could do that, and we should do that, through regular reading of the scripture, those are other means of, of God's grace, but but this is uh, attested to over and over in the scriptures. And so, um, Noelle and I went to one of her her students, it would be her students' parents, because the, their kids are the students, uh, to their church for, it's an apostolic church. I gave you the silence because if you guys knew, uh, just study apostolic churches, there's many different kinds, and so there's... You could have a lot of heresy in there, but uh, just waiting to see who would go, huh. <laughs> an apostolic church. Uh, I went to. We went to this apostolic church because they've been having a revival, and they've been having a revival for like 24 days or something by the time we went, and that means from 7 p.m. to 9, 10, or 11 p.m. every night, they had been uh, worshiping, uh, preaching, and worshiping some more, and uh, for... 24 days at that point and I think they were just going all through the month of August and so we got invited because most of the worship uh, was being led by kids uh, 12, 13 and under for like 30 or 45 minutes and it was honestly some of the best worship I've experienced in the last couple of years and, and some of the best preaching and um, what they surely get right is these are uh, holiness apost- apostolic churches is they sure do get right the need for sanctification and for holiness. Uh, literally from the pulpit, he spoke, preached with much vigor, quit your whining, your men. <laughs> and that's what you would expect every Sunday from an apostolic church, uh, that type of preaching. And so it was, it was honestly one of the most enjoyable times I've had at Uh, at another church in a long time, and so, um, but they sure do get that right. It might be a little hard to uh, get the message if you just look at the, the pastor also played saxophone and sang and dance up and down, down the pews, but the message was great. I absolutely loved it, and the worship was uh, four to ten times faster than every song we played today. And so it was very lively. And they really take worship seriously. They really take uh, coming in and worshiping the Lord seriously. Nobody, I was the only guy not in a suit with a tie. All the girls wear dresses down to their ankles and have buns. And they take coming into the presence of the Lord and worship very seriously. And so, um, but that's what it means to honor the Sabbath day, to honor the Lord's day and keep it holy. Coming to... Uh, coming to and hearing the word, understanding that God is going to deliver you grace. He wants to see you sanctified. He wants to see you grow. He wants to see you make disciples. And his primary means is by preaching. He wants to deliver that grace to you. I'll leave it up to you guys. I think it would be, that was question 35. I read from the Westminster Confession. I think it would be question 36 then of how are you ought to receive preaching? How are you ought to receive the ordinances? And it talks about receiving it in, in uh, preparedness and, and having open ears and, and being ready to hear. And so we ought to be Christians who understand God's ways, understand how he wants to deliver grace, and we ought to be Christians who are prepared for that. Right? We should be preparing on Saturday night for, for church on Sunday. Uh, we should be prepared coming expecting that God wants us to hear something. God wants us to hear something at the 930 about church history and understand what he's been doing through his covenant people throughout all of the ages, right? We should come expecting to hear God. We should become expecting to hear his, his word. We should, become, we should be Christians expecting to be witnesses of Christ, to experience Christ. And so God uses these means and he makes them effectual john six forty four no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and so and so this is god 's ways these are god is 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 not just sending his means but he's making it effectual. If you notice we 're going to and Simon the magician who could be simon Magus um, who was an early proponent of the Gnostic heresy, which essentially pitted the physical world as evil versus the spiritual world as good? That was the early Christian heresy of Gnosticism. Um, Irenaeus wrote in about 180 AD and pinned this Simon the magician as the early Simon Magus, uh, who was the a proponent of Gnosticism. But that's not, that's an actual biblical account. And so when you look at, at Simon, it's not just because you, you, he sat there and heard the preaching. It said he believed, but his heart was obviously not in the right right spot. He even got baptized. And so baptism didn't save him. Uh, Peter ends up saying that he's in the gall of bitterness. It's, it's this vile substance that he's just entrenched in that's full of, uh, if you cut open your liver, which I don't suggest you do, uh, unless it's, you're a doctor doing a medical procedure for some reason, but So don't go home and cut open your liver. Don't get the wrong message. Uh, but if you cut it open, there's all sorts of just gross, disgusting things that come out. So he says he's in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And so Simon's a, Simon the magician is a good example of someone who professed to believe and even got baptized and even heard the preaching and saw the demons get cast out, but but. It wasn't effectual in his heart. It even, you know, kind of in the, if you just reread it and be like, you have to wonder like, man, what happened to Simon? What's the deal? Where was he after that? Because he says, would you please pray for me? After Peter says, repent. You need to repent of this wickedness." He says, well, will you please pray for me? He doesn't, even as Peter's preaching to him, doesn't seem to repent And so Simon's heart is revealed in his actions. Uh, Matthew 7, 15. We're going to spend a little bit of time in in Matthew 7 and and then a little bit in Romans 3. So in Christ's great sermon on the mound, he starts to end... Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What's the purpose of a fruit tree? The fruits, right? If if you go back to Matthew, or go forward to Matthew 13, and he's talking about the parable of the sower, and uh, two of those don't even bear, or three out of the four don't even bear fruit, and even if they grew to a mature tree in the third soil, That was was choked out by the cares of the world. It didn't bear any fruit, and it's not good for anything. It can't even produce one more apple or one more fig or anything else. And so Simon's heart is revealed by his actions. And so it's not the means. The preaching doesn't save you. The getting baptized doesn't save you. Uh, Coming to church doesn't save you. God's grace saves you, and it's a means of God's grace to bring you to Christ. And so... Even in, in the Gospel of John when Nicodemus is asking, you know, uh, how can someone be born again? And he's saying you couldn't even perceive the kingdom, you couldn't know it, you couldn't have open ears, you couldn't have open eyes unless the Holy Spirit was doing something in you. And I tend to side on more uh, generous views of grace and saying, if you're here, God's trying to do something with you, Right? we're not all sanctified we're not all as sanctified as we're going to be but god's working on us Uh, not all of our actions are going to prove to be good fruit right i could just ask my wife not about her but about me and so so you can get baptized you could read your bible you could pray you could uh do supposedly good works you could do mercy ministries and still not know the lord so, just because you said the sinners prayer doesn't mean that God is obligated to save you right we don't We don't believe that because you ask God to do something, He says, "Oh man, I'm kind of busy, but I can do it in about five minutes. Let me get ready, and then I'll save you uh, That's not how God works; He's not obligated towards our will we're obligated towards his will, and so uh I want to you know say very plainly that the sinner's prayer going to church, reading your Bible doesn't save you those are uh, those are means of god's grace, and usually people who go to church, read their Bible, pray uh God is working on them, but those things in itself do not save you. You cannot trust in those things when you uh meet Christ on the final judgment and say he says I don't think he says this, but if he were to ask you, how are you getting in? Well, I read my Bible uh, like four times, and I, I prayed a couple times, and, uh, or even had a lifestyle of prayer. Those things aren't what save you. And Jesus makes that clear in the next part of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so those are people who did many good things, who, who outwardly had a pretty Christian life, more than maybe what some of us can say of prophesying and casting out demons and doing many mighty works. But... What Jesus emphasized is, I never knew you. You never knew me. You knew a lot of legalistic hoops to jump through, and you lived a lifestyle of of faith in yourself, but you never came to Christ. You never actually met Christ. And so the means of grace are for us to bring us to Christ. Preaching as, as Philip was doing to the Ethiopian eunuch, he Then it just explained to him. He could have. That was like a a really nice introduction to the gospel of that Philip had with the eunuch of Hey Isaiah 53. Here we go. Yeah, it's talking about Jesus. uh, And the eunuch had a real question that he didn't understand. Is this about the prophet or is this about somebody else? And Philip used that as an opportunity to preach Christ throughout the whole scriptures. And so, I mean, I'll be the first one to say like I love or I get into this habit of reading the Bible because I have to, because I've got to meet my quota, I've got to meet my four chapters a day quota, and if I get behind that, and then I've got to beat myself up and make up the days, and then I'll eventually be a good Christian because that's what Christians do. That's not how it works. That's not actually bringing me closer to Christ. Now, I should have spiritual disciplines. I should hear and receive the word. I should hear preaching. I should read the Bible. I should pray. Those are all things that come out of a heart that that knows Christ. But it's all about knowing Christ. And so uh, we don't put our faith in the means of grace. We put our faith in Christ who delivers grace. And so I can't know Christ apart from the Scripture, I can't experience Christ apart from the Holy Spirit, and I can't love Christ apart from the church. We normally call those the three means of grace. God is delivering his grace through the Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, and through the church. And so I can't know Christ apart from the Scriptures, I can't have any real knowledge, so I ought to read the Scriptures, I ought to hear preaching, I can't experience a christ apart from the holy spirit so i ought to pray for a more outpouring of the holy spirit i ought to seek the baptism in the holy spirit and i can't love christ apart from the church so i ought to be part of a local church i ought to live in fellowship and all these things but those are just means that god is delivering to us so that we would experience christ fuller and we have to understand that distinction we tend to uh, side with just if we jump through these hoops God will accept me and then um, I can get sanctified I can get over the sin if I do this this and this and that's not there are, are certain stipulations that will help you get over a sin but it's coming to Christ hating that sin repenting receiving that grace receiving those means is what we is what we do so Romans three twenty eight, Paul simply says for we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law we hold that one is, I'm sorry, it's the exact opposite of what it says, but we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So that is God's utter grace, that even in faith, that is not a work of the law, that is a grace from God. Even in just a few chapter, or a few, uh, one chapter and four verses earlier, uh, Romans 2, I'm sorry, it's actually Romans 2, 4, that the kindness of God is meant to lead us towards repentance. And that our faith is not even the faith we have, it's a gift of God. And so we can't boast in anything. So it's absolutely necessary that we know God, uh, that God gave us that faith. And so we don't even trust in our own works in salvation of, well, I had this faith, and look down on other Christians that don't have as much faith, or I've been sanctified this much because I've got that much faith, which Christ correlates with obedience, and look down on other Christians who don't have that much It's God who delivers it. He is the source of grace. We can't apprehend more grace necessarily apart from what God is delivering. He's delivering it through the scriptures. He's delivering it through preaching. That is the primary means that God has used throughout all of redemptive history, starting um, in Genesis, of how to redeem and sanctify his people. Oftentimes, uh, he used prophets were a type of preacher, 2 Peter, the whole book of 2 Peter is about false prophets, and he relates uh, and puts them side by side, false prophets, false teachers, uh, and correlates that that office in a lot of ways. And so, how did how did Jonah save Nineveh? How did God save Nineveh? He sent Jonah to preach. Could God have just saved them? Sure. I'm sure he could have. Is that how God works? No. It's not. And so uh you might throw we're going to get into next chapter where Christ just come comes and saves Saul, uh which will throw you a little loop a little loop in there uh and that but but this is God's normal means of salvation and sanctification, the preaching and heralding of his word. and so as we come to the table today, we often fall into two ditches: the first one is that we trust in and just taking the bread and wine and just receiving these elements we get grace that's not true we either get grace or judgment that is true you get one or the other Uh, paul makes that clear in in first corinthians but in the in the two ditches one side is works and the other side is works and those are the ditches we fall into The first one is trusting in these elements to save us. That God's going to just by coming up here and taking bread and wine, that God is going to, we're good Christians, we're sanctified because we're just receiving elements. That's not true. That's trusting in elements, not in God's grace. The other one is that we look at these elements and then we look into our, gaze into our navels and try to condemn ourselves and think about our sin and try to stir up faith in ourselves in some way by just um, gazing into our navels and thinking about our sin. That's another side, that's another ditch of, of works. That's another ditch of I'm going to do the work, I'm going to produce this faith in me, I'm going to be the one who condemns myself and feels bad about my sin so that I can repent, and then uh, then I'll be sanctified. And so we tend to side, I think as a church, to the introspective Uh, side of works, of falling into our our, uh, navel-gazing, looking into ourselves, keeping our heads bowed and thinking about how much we've done bad this week. And so neither one of those actually brings us to Christ. Neither one of those is uh, a ditch we want to fall into. Neither one of those, as we come to the table, actually reveals Christ. So the bread and wine is a means of grace. To bring us to Christ. These elements don't save us, neither does navel gazing. These elements are a gift of God to bring us to Christ. These elements, like preaching, are to remind us of Christ, to bring us to Christ, and to experience Christ. And so that's what we do here this morning. And so let's come and dine with Christ.